0: Good morning, Auburn, and welcome to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. This is a very exciting and special episode of Compact Discourse, which I will get to later on in the show. But of course, WEGLFM.com is Auburn's premier home for student run radio since 1971. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside my color man, Davis Carroll, and the enlivened Alex Houston. We would like to welcome in our listeners and viewers from across the Auburn Opelika Mechaplex and around the world, however, you may be joining us today, whether that be from your terrestrial radio antenna, from the information superhighway on weglfm.com, or tuning in after the fact on transistor.fm or Eagle Eye TV. We are happy to have you here in the booth with us for Auburn's only student run morning drive time show. And now, of course, we are broadcasting live from the Bradley Base and WEGL studios here in the Harold Melton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University, where right now it is a unseasonable 49 degrees and sunny outside this Monday morning. We wish you a most sincere good morning as well, as uh, we'll jo- jump it around the horn and ask everybody how they are doing today. Davis, how was your weekend, and how has the start of your week been so far?
1: Uh, you know, it was a good weekend, had fun in Fayetteville. It was a little chilly there, so the chill maybe followed us back home uh so far this morning uh woke up pretty refreshed was watching some stuff for the podcast later and and we got my two classes and my show today and two shows i guess technically but three shows actually busy day busy day mondays are my by far the busiest day yeah
0: so um are you with that it's gonna be at four yes all right so that is um wiggles best hip-hop show you ready to ready to call your shot there
1: I'm not. I know. I know. There's a '90s. There's a throwback one. So if you like '90s hip hop more, you might. You might disagree with my opinion. But I'd like to think we are. But you know, I'm not gonna downplay anybody else's. Everybody else is pretty good too.
0: And we will jump on to people who are pretty good. That is Alex Houston joining us in the booth today. For an armchair quarterback special Monday morning edition of Compact Discourse, how are you doing, Alex?
2: I'm doing pretty good. This uh, this uh, this day of Compact Discourse reminds me of the earlier days when Davis and I first joined the <clears throat> joined the extra point crew, second semester of our freshman year, and every single morning began with myself and Davis saying how it was, and then Jacob complaining about how cold it was. This day reminds me of that a lot. So that was that was kind of funny because I remember all those. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Good week in Auburn football. Yesterday could have been better, but thankfully I didn't watch Washington's game, so I avoided despair in that regard. But, yeah, very excited for our podcast today about the Scooby-Doo movies.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jacob would definitely complain about the cold if he were here today, but that's okay. That's uh, that's why we keep him around. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, so plenty of stuff coming up on Weagle today, including, as always, your 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. rock block that comes on after Compact Discourse. Then we got some... Folk music from two to four, including potentially the local music that has just been added to the station. You've got Are You With That from four to five? Then your pop block is gonna be from five to seven. And then we've got some two sports shows to end off your night. From seven to eight we have Stoppage Time and from eight to ten we have tough scenes. So that is what is coming up on W E G L today. So you aren't gonna to want to miss that, including Are You With That Mondays at four PM. All right. At this point, I would like to remind our audience that if any point in the next two hours you feel so inclined to ask us a question, drop a hot take, or the in the highly unlikely event that we get something wrong, if you'd like to correct us, you can do so by calling in at three three four eight four four ninety three forty five. That is three three four eight four four W E G L on your touch tone keypad, and uh, we want to hear from you. So you, that is something you can do. Um, you can also tweet at us at cdiscau. That's at cdiscau. Um, I got it pulled up right here on my computer. So if you tweet us something, we'll, it will roll right in, and we'd uh, we'd love to hear from you about anything we are talking about on today's edition of Compact Discourse. Um, so how are how are we coping with with the cold weather so far? I know on Saturday I was expecting cold weather, so I put on um, uh, quite a number of layers to deal with the the cold weather. And it was cold for a little while until the sun came out. And then I don't think a single cloud crossed over the stadium Ed, in the entire four hours we were sitting in, in the stadium in, in Fayetteville. So um, you may notice a little sunburn on my face as a result of that. And I was a little hot at the game, if I'm being completely honest with you. But um, it, it, it's very cold here in Auburn now, so the
2: the things the, the, the things are changing, I would say so, and it's good prep for me because I'm going to Notre Dame, Notre Dame this weekend where it's <laughs> going to be significantly colder. So this is just good prep, a good week of you know preparing, and also hopefully don't not using all of my winter clothes. So then I'll be out by this weekend. But I mean, you can I'm excited to wear winter clothes. That's true, that's, true, that's true. But I'm excited for the cold just because you know. I, I I'm glad that there will be days ahead where I don't have to be worrying about wearing certain shirts because of the sweat stain that my backpack will leave as it does during the hotter days. So looking forward to the colder days for that reason. Not to mention, I just like the cold. I don't know. Like when it's hot, you can't really do anything about it. You know, you can't wear less clothes. But when it's cold, just bundle up and you're good to go. Yep. So that's my, that's my thinking of it. And of I course, also agree. I mean, Davis has been wearing winter clothes even in the middle of September. So at this point, we probably know exactly what Davis thinks. Okay, Alex.
1: A little, a little exaggerated as you uh-huh. tend to be.
2: I, yeah, it's it's what the people want, Davis. I, I am the,
1: the the slightest drop in temperature. I take as a chance to wear long sleeves. I will admit, but I have been holding off on it because I know it will get like ninety degrees in two hours after wearing them, and I'll want to die mm-hmm. walking around. The
0: sun is very powerful. It uh, it uh it has a it has a way of making things hot,
1: even if it's cold outside. Yeah, but you know, uh, it is probably it's gonna start getting heat back up next week. I think low is about to be, gonna be like mid fifties next week, and it's gonna be back up to where it was last week, like heat wise high. Mm-hmm. So maybe yeah. a short lived, short lived jacket week.
0: We don't have a high over eighty um, on the ten day, so oh. potentially it's here to stay. Um, uh, we we've seen a lot worse though, you know. Could, could be a, a 90 degree iron bowl for all we know, mm. um, with the way the weather is here in Alabama. But for right now, um, until Monday the first of November, I'm not seeing a uh, I'm not seeing a high over
1: 80. Hey, I'm cool with that. That means I don't know what does that mean. Long sleeves or do you think it's still gonna the sun's gonna be beaten down in the middle of the day?
0: Yeah, well, I'm it. It's I'm seeing some sun. But uh not much rain, so I don't I don't think will be there'll be any cold wind mm. to uh to, to require require you to bundle to bundle up.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. So that is what's going on. Well, Jack, we didn't hear your opinion on the cold. I do not like the cold at all. Um if I can avoid it forever, I would. It's uh not something I get along with. It's not agreeable to me. Um as you can see. I'm wearing, effectively, an entire bear's worth of fur today to deal with this minor inconvenience of it being 50 degrees outside um, when I had to go outside for about three minutes to get here today. So, um, at all costs, I will avoid the cold. That seems... I don't like the way it feels on my face and fingers. I don't like the wind blowing on me. I hate having chapped lips, and the instant it gets cold, my lips become chapped, so... Sounds
1: like you're just not built for it. I'm
2: honestly. not built for it, and cool. I don't like it. Well, Jack, I ha- okay. I will say, uh, the two people from like the southernmost point of the state being more prepared for the cold than you seems a bit strange.
1: It is strange. Well, the uh, fact that he grew up in it, maybe just more time to not like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I guess it makes sense.
0: Chris said I'm too skinny to deal with it last night, and that hurt my feelings.
2: <laughs> I mean, I mean, Got to embrace bulking season. I don't know.
1: I guess so. Alex is pretty skinny. He handles it. Thank you, David. I got a little bit of weight on me, so I have some insulation. Maybe that's why I like it.
2: Just, like, go to Chick-fil-A and order, like, three Chick-fil-A chicken sandwiches for lunch every day.
0: Yep. Jack's metabolism's crazy. You that, don't understand. That's my uh, that's my strategy for beating the cold this winter. Exactly. Just complete bulking. I mean, hibernation, man. It works. Fat bear week. I would if I could. I would if I could. Um, I will. I like to run when it's cold because I don't sweat very much. Um, if you've ever seen me when I'm running when it's cold, it's quite the spectacle. Um, because I wear my, uh, I basically wear a hoodie and a beanie and like three inch shorts, because I, I don't like when my legs get hot when I run, so. Interesting. It's uh, i it, I'm about to have to break that outfit out again um, after after um, a, a many months of, of running in regular clothes. It's going to have to change pretty soon if this weather persists, which I hope it does. And it looks like it will. Um, looking at once again, looking at your 10 day forecast uh, for Auburn, Alabama. Um, 72 is your high today and the highs will remain in the 70s all the way into November. So uh, the lows will be in the mid 50s during that time span as well. So it looks like we're about to going to have the same weather every day
2: for about four months four weeks. I'm excited for a potentially cold Iron Bowl. Cold Iron Bowl. Could the, be interesting. The last, uh, like, the first Iron Bowl I ever went to was a very cold one, so I'm excited for a chance of it, because the 2019 one was hot, and I got sunburned on the side of my face because of the sun, so that mm-hmm. was not ideal. So we're hoping for the opposite of that. But we'll see what happens. We shall
0: see, and, uh, we may potentially have a night game coming up as the next home game, and once the sun goes down, things get very chilly, um, including... Monday night's temperature is forty-seven degrees. Is uh, projected for tonight.
2: So don't they announce the uh, time of that of the Ole Miss Auburn game like today at noon? Mm, I thought I, th- I thought they they did the next week's games, the Monday before the upcoming games. We shall see, I and uh, them, we
0: though. shall plan our dress accordingly uh, if it is going to be a night game. Because I don't know if you remember, twenty
2: nineteen Ole Miss was a night game, frigid. I do. Yes, that was that was that was tough. I I'm I'm kind of hoping for that. I do not want to do another eleven am kick. Uh, just because the energy is just not there. To be honest, no matter how cold it is. Mm-hmm and I think it's going to be an important game anyway, so I think Auburn's going to need the energy, but we can get to that in a minute. But, I mean, like, I'm just hoping for a night game. All right,
0: and yeah, that's a great segue. Speaking of Auburn football, we will get to that on another side of this first break, so don't go anywhere. Thank you for kicking off your Monday morning and your work and school week with us here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm Jack Carr, joined alongside Alex and Davis. When we get back, We'll jump right into it. Auburn football, big victory over Arkansas this past weekend. What went right, what went wrong, and how were the how was Auburn able to beat Arkansas for the sixth time in a row? We'll get to all that and more in about two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hard, joined alongside Alex Houston and Davis Carroll, welcoming you into another exciting episode of Auburn's only morning drive time talk show run by students. Uh, so, that is what we are doing here today. It is a very special episode of Compact Discourse today. Believe it or not, this is the one, two, three, fourth anniversary of the first ever episode of Compact Discourse going on the air right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. So it's a very special day for me as I celebrate my fourth, uh, beginning of my fifth year in radio broadcasts. So four years ago today, a uh, a young Jack Hart and Justin Thomason were sitting in this very room uh, facing that way, uh, if you can believe that, that was the way our old desk was set up alongside Britt Bowen, sitting in on our first show, and that was exactly what happened uh, back in the day. Is trained by Jared Dillard, um, who has since <laughs> since departed from us. And uh, there, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, my first show was not good, but that's you know I've had some practice since. What y'all talk about? We talked about the uh, the NFL and the whole the whole kneeling situation. Ooh, yeah. Because that's what you talked about in fall of twenty seventeen. If you talk Man. about sports, yeah, yeah, you're right. Sports and politics—that was what compact discourse was all about. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm
2: ready for. I, I could do a return episode, you know. <laughs> yeah, just, we dis, do. Discussions are fun. That's all I'm saying. We do have a little bit of political news. Is that right? Is that right, Alex? Uh yes. Uh so former U.S. secretary of former U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell has passed away after complications from COVID nineteen. He was eighty four years old. Colin Powell. uh I believe was the Secretary of State during George W. Mm-hmm. Bush's administration in his first term, and then during he was one of the leaders uh, of the Persian Gulf War offensive, if I'm not mistaken, and also- sort of helped design the entire Desert Storm operation in part, and it earned the Presidential Medal of Freedom twice, one of only two people to ever receive it twice. He's a four-star general as well. Yes, he fought in Vietnam as well. So yeah, very like distinguished and uh, accomplished military general. Uh, passed away. A- It appears just this morning, or at least last night. I I can't tell. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, he was 84 years old. So,
0: So, yes, that was Colin Powell, sadly dying of complications with COVID-19 at the age of 84 today. So we are going to move on to other things today, including Auburn versus Arkansas which happened on Saturday at 11 a.m. if you were able to uh, wake up in time to catch this one as um, the Auburn Tigers traveled to Fayetteville to try to win their sixth straight against the Arkansas Razorbacks. And uh, they ended up doing so as the Auburn Tigers come away with a 38-23 to victory over the Razorbacks of Arkansas, downing the number 17th ranked team in the country and serving up Arkansas, their third straight conference loss after getting out to an amazing start. So Arkansas tumbles down the rankings once again, as they have been served up three straight conference losses after defeating Texas A&M in Dallas. So that is what happened on Saturday. Uh, Bo Nix, your leading passer for the Auburn Tigers, of course, he went 21 of 26 for 292 yards and two touchdowns. He had one untimely interception uncharacteristic interception, if I'm being honest with you. And uh, that is where his final stat line sat. Uh, Tank Bigsby was your leading rusher. He had 18 for 68 and one touchdown. Uh, Not much of a rushing game able to be established on Saturday, but we will get to that. Uh, Demetrius Roberts, your leading receiver, he had two receptions for 81 yards and one long touchdown. Uh, K.J. Jefferson was your leading passer for the Hogs. He was 21 of 35 for 228 and two house calls. He was also their leading rusher. He went 18 for 66. And their leading receiver was Burks. He had nine receptions for 109 yards and two of those touchdowns. And that is where we sat uh, at about 2.30 on Saturday afternoon after Auburn came away with a big win.
2: So first thing uh, I want to ask you guys, I've never been to Fayetteville or to Donald W. Reynolds uh, Razorback stadium so how was the experience overall? I mean you guys have been to quite a few stadiums already this year. so how, how was the overall experience at Arkansas or Razorback Stadium? I will say it was very um, pro style is mm-hmm. what I, is yeah. kind of the term I've
0: been using the the all the recent renovations to the stadium have made it a very pro style stadium. You have the two bleacher uh, sections that go all the way up from the from behind the the player benches all the way up to the second and third deck. but Both end zones are almost completely occupied by club and suite level and yep. press boxes and uh, suite boxes, um, which and especially the, in, the, in the visitor corner to our right was the, the, new, the new side of the stadium uh, the, that was completed in 2014, I believe, that uh, makes it a complete bowl. And that yep. entire superstructure is, I think, a recruiting center and uh, executive suites and club section. Um, so that the stadium was very pro-style, and the flow of the game was very pro-style. There was a lot of, uh, like, man on the street. I know the Braves do that a lot, where they just have someone running around to the student section with a microphone and, and throwing stuff at people and getting people hyped up. Um, so that was very pro-style, and there were... Um, like, a lot of, like, sound effects, if that makes sense. Uh, I think Davis was mentioning how it's kind of like an NBA game. Yeah. Where, mm. like, when, when, they would, when they would cause a false star, they'd play, like, a, a truck backing up sound. So, it, it was very different from what, how Auburn does it. Um, the band did completely different things. It was also homecoming, so we got to watch the, uh, the homecoming coronation at the same time. So, that was interesting. Um, but, uh, and, of course, the calling the hogs. That was uh, a spectacle. Every guest they they brought out had got to call the hogs, and uh it's a little more time consuming than a war eagle is what I'll say.
2: That yeah, I mean that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh yeah, I was just wondering because I I'd never been there before. I certainly plan to in the future. Uh, Davis, what are your initial reactions?
1: I also agree. I really like the stadium. One thing I didn't really I've never seen before. I kind of liked was every time they got a first down, we play the first down song. Obviously, we all do the dun dun dun, 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 dun. but they the their announcer. Who kind of sounds like the NCAA announcer we were talking about. If you ah. just drop him an octave, he'd always go, and that's another Razorback. And then all the fans go, first down, yep. which I thought was kind of cool, but they kind of stopped really getting into it. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute after I talk about the campus, but those fans got deterred very easily. Yeah. They were very. um, n- But okay, so the, the, the I really like the campus. It was hilly, but it was nice, had a lot of nice art, really cool architecture, I'll say. Uh we took we took a photo in front of their bell tower. Kinda did. We were just kind of standing around. Uh their downtown was really cool. Had a lot of food places, a lot of cool stores. We went to this place called, what was it called? Like Fer Ferrell's Ferrells. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I had a good Philly cheesesteak there. Watched the games. Me and Chris were sleepy in there. We were falling asleep. We were so tired. It was. It was they were very sleepy. <laughs> um
0: so yeah, that was uh, that was our experience with with Fayetteville. Um the the stadium's up on a big hill, which is cool. I think they even call it the hill. Um and you you can you can from where we walked in, you can see it for quite some time before you get up to it. So that was very cool. That's cool. And there's just a lot of new buildings around the football stadium. Um it it seems like a recently renovated type of area, so Uh, I'm glad to have gone now and not, you know, seven years ago before all that was built.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I would say it fits with the sort of resurgence of Arkansas football over the last 20 years, despite the Chad Morris era being, like, the worst ever. You know, early 2000s, they had a lot of success. And then, you know, 2008, 2012 with Petrino's success, and then even Bielema brought some success to the program as well. So, I mean, that checks out. I will say, um, one thing about the first down thing, Davis, there are a lot of teams actually in the SEC that do that. Ole Miss does it. Uh... Where they Well, the guy will say first down, then everybody says old Miss. You can always hear that guy on the TV. And then Alabama says first down, and then they all do roll tide. I think LSU had a song they play. Auburn sort of, it kind of goes in the middle, but I think every SC team does except Marbley Vanderbilt.
1: Well, yeah, I just never heard every fan say first down instead of like yeah. doing a little chant or a song. That makes sense. But yeah, that I haven't been sense. to that many stadiums.
2: Um, I will say I really dislike the college stadiums that seem to prioritize club seating. LSU did the same thing, and it bothered me. And now that you guys have said the same thing about Arkansas, like again, I I haven't been there, so maybe I can't complain about around it. Around the but. whole
1: thing, it was like like executive suite looking things. Like it was just like like a ring around the top.
2: Well, you know around the, around the top that that's like fine. But I'm talking like at the field level, the ones that like really there annoyed was
1: me. right behind the bench. There was like I'm pretty sure like I don't know like season ticket holders. I don't know what they were. And then, yeah, each side. Like of Miami has
2: the same thing, and Alabama has the same thing. I'm like, come on now. Just, I feel like it sort of ruins. It's like, it's like if Auburn was like, we're just gonna push the student section back six rows to leave it for club seating, which is not something they do. But about the game, I guess if we want to talk about the game, unless you guys have anything else to say about good old Fayetteville. I mean, we could talk about Fayetteville for just a
0: little bit longer. I will say it's quite a hike to get out there. Yes. Um, you spend from Auburn, you spend about more than half the time driving there in Arkansas proper, considering that uh, Fayetteville is in the very extreme northwest corner of the state. So um, we got through Memphis, and we weren't even halfway there yet. So that was a little bit jarring to me. Um, but, you know, we got to see a lot of Arkansas. If I'm being completely honest with you, at least the route we took, there wasn't a whole lot to see. But, nice hills. Uh, uh, once, we, once we got on to, uh, to Interstate 49 uh, after, after passing through Little Rock, uh, heading north up to Fayetteville, it was very interesting to drive through some some of the foothills of the Ozark Mountains, and there was a tunnel, and very very interesting stuff that if you're driving around the south, you hardly ever see, and you did not expect that from an SEC school.
2: That sounds like a really cool place. I, I certainly want to go uh, at some point. That I I guess I should probably go while Auburn's on a win streak against Arkansas because. They've had a lot of success there and here lately. Mm. Um, I believe
0: the last time Auburn lost to Arkansas was in two thousand fifteen in that four overtime game.
1: Indeed, one of the saddest seasons to ever be watched as an Auburn fan, truly, Maybe. truly. Another thing in Fayetteville is when you are walking around campus, you'll notice like just a ton of names on the ground, and they have a traditions where every year all the alumni, alum, yeah, all the alumni of that year get their name put onto really? the like the street. Like, That's cool. every single person that graduated in that year. And, like, there were, Jack and Chris were, like, no, it just has to be, like, uh, just special donors. And then we were walking for, like, because, five yeah, minutes. It was one 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 year. It was broken up by year, and then
0: we got to, like, 1935, and there's, you know, 40 people on, so we figured it was, you know, People with doctorates yeah. or something, but then we turned around a corner and we saw twenty
2: seventeen and twenty seventeen kept going for about a quarter mile. That's so. really cool. I don't know how they do that without having to shut down part of the city, it seems like But mm-hmm. That's really cool. And, I uh, really like that.
0: A lot of a lot of people were just, you know, try walking around affecting themselves. They're their equivalent of Sanford Lawn and yeah, you know, getting a picture with their their uh, their name in the That's really cool. Sidewalk. That's so, really cool. I like interesting that. Interesting tradition that I was very fond of when I when I saw it. So that was the, uh, the atmosphere at Fayetteville. Uh, let's talk about the game on the other side of a quick break. Auburn, of course, getting their sixth straight win against the Razorbacks of Arkansas. Thank you for joining us here on Compact Discourse on this special anniversary edition. And I can't think of a better way to be spending it than talking about an Auburn football win. go the Tigers over the Razorbacks. We'll break it down for you on the other side of the break. Auburn looks ahead to a bye week, and then Ole Miss coming to town on the 30th. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes.
1: 91.1
2: WEGL-FM, Auburn University.
0: Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex and Davis, welcoming you into the show to discuss Auburn University's big win over the Arkansas Razorbacks this past weekend. 38-23 go the Auburn Tigers over the Hogs in Fayetteville to make it six straight. Auburn hasn't lost to Arkansas since 2015, when they dropped a heartbreaker in quadruple overtime up on the hill in Fayetteville. If you have something you would like to say about Auburn's game against Arkansas on Saturday, we would love to hear from you. That is, of course, 334-844-9345 or AU on the Twitter. So go ahead and send us your opinion if you'd like to talk about the offense, the defense, the special teams, whatever, um, whether it be the play calling or... The coaching, we'd like to hear your feedback. Um, but first, we'll get Alex and Davis's feedback on what, how much the offense has improved from week to week. Considering last week against Georgia, they put up ten, and this week against
2: Arkansas, they almost broke forty. I would say, um, and to echo a lot of what the beat writers were saying on uh, Saturday. This is the best Bo Nix has looked in his Auburn career so far. This stretch of games between LSU, Georgia, and Arkansas, because he did not lose the Georgia game by any stretch. Not to mention, as we mentioned, those eight drops drastically affected his performance overall. This is the best he's looked, and it's crazy that we got here after the Georgia State game. I mean, after his even playing for the rest of his career was in doubt. After the Georgia State game, people were saying, well, is Bo going to transfer when T.J. Finley takes his job? And he has responded. Excuse me. with one of the best stretches, the best stretch of his career. And this Arkansas game, it was, I perhaps sound like a bit of a broken record here because it feels like every week we've talked about, at least I've talked about, how important this game was for the Brian Harson era, right? You know, it was Penn State was set the tone different to the Gus Malzahn era of laying a complete egg on the road, right? Then <clears throat> LSU was can he do what no coach has done since 1999, right? Um, and that that was the question then, and even further down the line, you know. You've got the Georgia game. Where, where's the What can he do against a rival that Gus had beaten at home, right? Well, what can Harson do there? But this game, and I mentioned it in the bullpen last week. This game was the possibility between six and six and eight and four, which is the Birmingham Bowl versus the Outback Bowl. And in in any coaching tenure, the beginning of the season is not you know the first season of the tenure is not make or break, right? You know, Nick Saban's first year at Alabama was not good. They lost to ULM, right? But it, it comes down to having to recruit from behind or recruit from ahead, right? Like where you're having to sell people on what you can be versus selling people on what you are, and that's where the first season can be crucial if you want to be able to sell people on what you are. And I think this game was just very crucial for Auburn to sort of set the tone for the remainder of this season because I don't know what's going to happen down the line. I don't know what's going to happen against Ole Miss or when they go to Kyle Field or any of those games, but. This was definitely a game that they were not favored to win and they did in convincing fashion on the road against a top 25 opponent. I do not believe Arkansas is that great of a team but they are a good team and that was the biggest SEC game they've had in three years. And I know it was an 11-am kick but I mean the crowd seemed to come out ready to go for that game. Davis you mentioned they got deterred very easily but the crowd was there and that was a tough game in a tougher environment and they showed out and the offense looked a lot They were better. there, they just didn't do anything. Hmm. They were so- We were on the goal line, they made no
1: sound. Well, that's unfortunate. And then later on in the game when there was the pass interference call for us, they just booed the whole time. I, I heard that they on TV. Booed incessantly for like the next 3 drives. I I'm sorry if you're an Arkansas fan, but uh, the The atmosphere there wasn't really doing it for me, and they they were whining about every call. And then at the beginning of the game, they everybody had it was a fumble sign, and then at the on the screen it had it even said it was a fumble. I mean, yeah, they, they're that,
2: acting like they were going to win the national championship from that that fumble. Yeah, that was certainly a bold strategy from uh, the. I guess the marketing team for Arkansas. I don't recall ever seeing a team harp on a bad call that much and use it in promotional packages and on the jumbotron. I mean, Auburn did not build a hype video for their next LSU match after 2018, saying, "Look at that pass interference call that you missed." Do you know, or or uh, the or hold on, Derek Brown? Exactly, which one? Six of them. I mean, there's certainly videos made by independent people on YouTube that you can watch and posted by people unaffiliated with the university, but the university itself did not. Shove that forward and say, Look at this, which was very odd. And that's traditionally not something teams want to cultivate in their fan base because that mm-hmm. just cultivates an anger that is not preferred and an anger that leads to things that happened in Tennessee, which we can get to a little later in the show, I'm sure. But I- Ant, speaking of the video board as well,
1: something else for you. Go ahead. Video board was, I was not a fan because they'd be playing like their third down thing, or, like, they'd be playing their replay or their third down team while the game, while Mm. the play was happening. And we were in a spot that we couldn't always see, so we'd be trying to watch the video board. But I think the video board to our right, above us, was always playing the Mm. game. And then when (laughs) the 1,000 ref replays happened, they just didn't know what to do, so they just played the ESPN or the, I guess, CBS Sports, whoever was broadcasting it. They just literally put every single camera view up there, and then it frees, and they wouldn't know what
2: to do. Well, not everybody can uh, do Oracle Productions, I guess. uh, I think I'm done harping right now. That that is fine. But this was a very signature game, I think, for Auburn and for Harson. 15-point win on the road against Arkansas, and a lot of people were criticizing. um, I saw this during the game. You guys were probably not monitoring Twitter during it. I can talk about this a bit after the break as well. But a lot of people were criticizing Auburn's lack of ability to run the football against a team that has allowed other opposing teams to run the football, Georgia and Ole Miss, because Arkansas traditionally runs a three-man front. Nobody seemed to notice that Arkansas dramatically changed their defense to address that. They were running four-man front, something they haven't done all season. And they forced, they were daring Auburn to pass the football, and Auburn met the challenge with, obviously, Bo Nix having the best game of his career. That one interception, honestly, was an arm punt. I think they told him take the shot. If it's picked off, it's picked off. It was a great play by the defender. Would I have liked Auburn to keep dinking and dunking their way down the field to get points? Yeah, but mm-hmm. I'm also not mad with them taking shots because being aggressive is something that this coaching staff has been preaching over and over fourth and one mentality. And obviously that doesn't call for being constantly aggressive, but in those moments, I'm fine with it. But I, I think there's really a lot of positives to take away on the offensive side and on the defensive side, which I can talk about after this break.
0: Yeah, the defense, I think, showed a lot of fight. There were a lot of times they could have given up and let Arkansas back into the game, but they never did. Um, I think they had two fourth-down stops, a defensive touchdown, and plenty of hard hits. The QB contain, I thought, was going to be a problem uh, after what, you know, he, me and Trevor, what is T.J. Jefferson. Penn State's quarterback. Oh, United. sorry. Uh, Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford. A- after... Auburn's QB contain and pressure made Sean Clifford look, you know, Heisman worthy. Um, this this second week of the season. I was really worried what a, what a mobile quarterback could do. And in the first quarter, I was really scared. By the way, you know, he trucked somebody. He was getting away. He was fooling the defense. But halftime adjustments really made the the uh, Jefferson's legs a non-factor and, then- and allowed the team to get where they were by the by, by the fourth quarter. And
2: I don't know what the view like was there, but on the TV there's a lot of running opportunities that he just seemed to pass up, which I'd chalk that up to something that a lot of people mentioned, just wear and tear from Georgia and Ole Miss. Two fought games, back-to-back weeks. I think he certainly wasn't going to want to do the Cam Newton approach and take 50 hits a game. uh, So that's probably why, but I think they definitely did make a lot of adjustments. in the defense, this is probably their best performance of the year considering the competition they face. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that
0: defensive touchdown. We'll talk about that one-play drive. And we will talk about those fourth-down stops. All that and more coming up as we continue to discuss Auburn and Arkansas here on Compact Discourse. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with some more of Auburn's only drive-time morning show run by students. W-E-G-L,
1: Auburn.
0: Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, talking alongside Alex and Davis. It's warmed up just a little bit since we started the show. It's up to 54 degrees here with the sun out on a Monday morning. 72 is your high today with a low of 47. 60 degrees is going to be your morning temp. It'll get up to 70 this afternoon, which is about your high. No chance of rain. Uh, This evening, it's going to come in to about 55 degrees once the sun goes down. Um, We were out playing outside yesterday, and as soon as the sun went down, it got immediately very chilly. So plan accordingly for that, and then your overnight temp is going to be 50 degrees tonight as we are uh, rapidly approaching a full moon as we are in the waxing gibbous phase right now. Sunset is going to be at 6.05 p.m. is when the sun will disappear over the western horizon. And that is your Auburn, Alabama weather report for today, the 18th of November. October, rather. Um, Let's jump right back into Auburn, Arkansas. You had um, a couple big touchdowns for the Tigers, including a one-play drive when Demetrius Robertson caught a 71-yard pass
2: from Bo Nix. Is that what we'd like to see? The wide receivers answered the call after weeks of criticism and weeks of problems with an amazing concentration on that play. He really didn't see the ball until it was in front of him, a la Ricardo Lewis and the prayer Jordan Hare is is a good comparison. I knew Alex was going to say that. I mean, no, legitimately, if you watch it, like, he did not see it, and then it's, like, in front of him, and he immediately grabs it. So that is exactly what this team needed, was to be able to trust the wide receivers to take those shots down the field. And... I think, I think that's what they responded very well with a great game from the wide receiving core
0: I think yeah the, the mentality of this team to get the to play the third quarter that they did was unbelievable you know it's very demoralizing to give up a touchdown right before halftime which they did I mean it's even more demoralizing to give up another touchdown and lose the lead like they did uh, at the beginning of the third quarter so now they're down 17 to 14 after leading for the entire first half. And I think the resiliency of this team to just put together three incredible, if you want to call them drives, you can, but three sequences, um, beginning with the uh, backing up Arkansas and then getting that strip sack fumble return uh, by Marcus Harris to get a touchdown and retake the lead. And then Arkansas gets the ball back. Auburn is able to bend, not break, stop them on fourth down, get the ball back, immediately take a shot to the end zone, and score 14 points in the matter of three minutes. Th-
2: this was, I think, what we can imagine the Brian Harson era will be an opportunistic defense that takes advantage of turnovers and gets key stops when they need it, and an offense that'll take shots to snatch some momentum away right when it needs it. And the fact is, the defense really came together this week without Owen Papo, probably the be- one of the best players on the team, has been injured the last two weeks, getting this bye week this week. Auburn wants to have him back by Ole Miss. Difficult to say if he will be, but this defense responded. And the fact is, this defense is really coming together. Eku Liotta, who is the transfer, I believe, from Northwestern, has seven tackles for loss in seven games. For reference, a previous uh, defensive end who now resides at UCF had 11 tackles for loss over a four-year career. Liota has seven in a seven-game uh, stretch, for what it's worth. he He's uh, shown up week after week. Colby Wooden is probably the be- one of the best defensive tackles in the SEC at this point. His disruption ability is about as good as it's been since Derrick Brown, I would say, for this defensive line, because 2020 they were lacking that, and he really showed up with two key sacks. His sack set up that's, that uh, fumble in the end zone, actually, a great shoestring tackle of a big TJ Jefferson. KJ. Or, is it? I thought it was KJ. Okay, my bad. KJ we have Jefferson. T.J. My, my mistake. But uh, that, that was one of the big game-changing moments, because, I mean, it was not an easy tackle to make, and he made it. So this defense is really coming together, and... The secondary responded as well with a much better performance, in my opinion. They didn't slow down Jalen Burks as much as they maybe should have, but nobody stopped him yet. So Yeah. I will say that
0: after the uh Demetrius Robertson touchdown catch, all of the wind was completely sucked out, out of the stadium. Yeah. As you can imagine, after, you know, taking the lead, does Arkansas then immediately gives up fourteen points to go down eleven? Um and that completely took the crowd out of the game for the rest of the third quarter and into the fourth when just about the only, you know, sound you could hear out of them was the booing. So Yeah. That would that I mean that was big for not only the score, but also the environment.
2: That was textbook how you respond in a football game. That's that's what you want your team to do. And I'm sure Harson is very pleased with that response. Okay, so you take an early lead, you give up that lead, right? With Arkansas having all the momentum, how do you respond? with a huge defensive stop, and then the offense goes right for the jugular with a deep throw to Demetrius Robinson. That's exactly what they needed to do. And that's something that, I mean, it just it felt good to see the team do exactly what they needed. Down to that last fourth-quarter drive. Okay, you're in the lead. You need to milk some clock and get some points on the board. They did both with a long, methodical drive, ending in a wild Bo quarterback draw, which I did not see coming. Not to mention my favorite play maybe ever was the third down conversion where it was a new formation Auburn has not shown this year where Bo fakes it to his left to a receiver going to his right and then runs in like a quarterback power type play. That was just I'd not seen that formation yet. That was that was cool to see. I mean it's just a lot of positives for this game and a lot, you know, to take into this bye week to get ready for Ole Miss a good football team who will be coming off a tough three game stretch of I mean, a lot of very competitive games. But just really positive up uh, performance from Auburn In all phases, I would say. Even running the football, despite the fact that I think Auburn is starting to acknowledge the fact that their offensive line does not have a lot of strength run blocking. They don't. Pass blocking, I think they've shown a lot of improvement. But running the ball, it's just not going to be their forte this year, especially against teams that are running four-man fronts against them. It just doesn't work as well as it should. And they're adapting to that with a lot more stretch in the field, a lot of tosses, which I like the power toss plays that they run, even though it is old-fashioned. I think it works. This is just a lot of steps in the right direction for Auburn, at a very critical point in the season. I mean, again, the difference between four and three and five and two is a big difference, especially with the rest of the schedule ahead of them. anybody else? I know I, I talked to them. I for think five and two
0: is is big. That's where you want to be. Auburn's currently sitting at third in the SEC West, which I don't think a lot of people expected uh, coming into this season. Uh, and that makes that game with Mississippi coming up in a few weeks even more pivotal because know, Auburn wins that game and they're you know number two behind Bama. So there's a lot to be considered here when it comes to I think this Auburn team in some ways is under underwhelming uh, expectations, which w- we saw um, with just lack of execution. But I think this Arkansas win w- is giving a lot of people hope and. Uh, excitement, enthusiasm about you know, and like you said, you know, there's a difference between recruiting from behind or recruiting from ahead, and I think you can't give enough credit to what you know Derek Mason and, and Harson are doing with their limited talent pool. You know, they're t- they're taking on you know the best of the best and at least putting up a a uh, competent performance. And you know, I I think Auburn probably played. Georgia closer than Kentucky did. If I'm be, if I watched most of that Kentucky game, and while while the score might fool you uh, into thinking Kentucky scored more than Auburn, I think Auburn was moving the ball better, and you know take away those drops, and I think we're looking at, at something like a like a like a 34 to 20 rather than a 34 to 13 or 34 to 10 like we got.
2: Definitely, and you want to talk about lack of talent. I think it's important to mention this was a big week for Auburn football in general with. The signings of, or the commitments of Eston Harris Jr. and Drew Bobo, two offensive linemen for the Tigers. And Eston Harris, a lot of people harping on the fact that he is a three-star. This was after the Georgia game. Everyone's like, three stars can't beat five stars. Having stars matter and whatnot. Eston Harris, a three-star, is the highest rated offensive lineman recruit Auburn has had since 2017.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: Which is insane. Insane. And I, 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 first of all, I think he may jump to a four star, and I think he's going to be a great player. I'm not a big star guy. I'm not thinking, oh, stars don't thing matter. I don't think they are. Jarquez Hunter was a three star. That's that. That's enough said for me, to be honest. But the fact of the matter is, by a sheer rating perspective, that is absurd. Two recruiting classes plus 2020 without an offensive lineman recruit higher than that is ridiculous. Especially because the offensive line problem has existed since 2017, and it was not addressed. That's a small <clears throat> microcosm of exactly what they're dealing with. And a lot of people have been calling for Derek Mason's head, actually, on Instagram and on Twitter, saying how they need to fire him already. Realize the talent that he is working with. A lot of people are like, don't run zone. He has to run zone because I don't believe he thinks anybody in Auburn other than Roger McCreary can cover people one-on-one. Because I don't think they can. Mm-hmm. He ran zone, or he ran man against Georgia, and they did a play-action fake, and a walk-on wide receiver smoked the entire secondary twice. Like, it's just a reality and you have to run a zone type of defense because he doesn't believe that his four-man front can defeat most teams running the ball, which in a lot of cases, they really they did a lot better this week than they have this season. But look at George's last drive against Auburn. Again, I'm not going to harp on negatives, but I think it's, it's, time, it's time for people to accept that this team is not as talented as a 2013 or a 2010 team, and these coaches need to be kind of a bit of slack, to be honest. And again, this is a huge victory and a huge adjustment from the Auburn defense on the defensive side with Derek Mason and on offense. This is a big moment, and even looking at this stat, Brian Harson is the only uh, first-year FBS coach with five wins through Week 7. He's the only coach at, sitting at 5-2. and two. A number of other coaches sit at 4-3, and three, but he is the only one currently at 5-2 and two with probably the toughest schedule of all the new FBS coaches. So for what it's worth, there's that as well to just really understand how positive this performance was. Mm-hmm. I
0: could not agree more. Um, I really... The more I think about it, the more pleased I am with the resiliency of this team, what it means for the rest of the season. You know, it's given us some meaningful November games, which I don't think a lot of people expected heading into the season. And I think if anything, that Georgia game being moved up from, you know, late November to early October, it only does good things for Auburn as it might be a little bit out of the public conscious by the time it comes, you know, for, for bowl picking time. So... I think lots of to be excited about for Auburn, especially getting some rest over this upcoming weekend and gearing up for a potentially top 10 Ole Miss team coming to town on the 30th of October. And uh, we await the announcement for when that game is going to be on the clock uh, as we uh, uh, move ever so closer day by day to the continuation of the college football season. All right, a lot to get to in the second hour, including... The new AP poll, scores from Saturday, scores from Sunday, playoff baseball, a lot to squeeze into one hour, so don't go anywhere. We will be right here for Compact Discourse in a few minutes. We will be right back. I'm Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex and Davis. Keep it right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's only student-run radio station since 1971. 50 years of WEGL. Welcome back to WEGL 91.1 FM. We are not the Mike Lee Morning Show. We are, of course, Compact Discourse, but we are celebrating 50 years of student-run radio right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. We are celebrating another birthday today. It's the birthday of Compact Discourse, which debuted four years ago today right here on the big 91 WEGL 91.1 FM. So shout-out to Justin Thomason for helping me get this thing off the ground and shout out to Jared Dillard for training me on the board and also founding the Extra Point, the sister show of Compact Discourse from which, you know, without all of that, none of this would be possible, including our video live stream, which I'm looking at over there right now. YouTube, uh, WEGL, look for the orange and blue Eagle logo. You can watch us in living color and, uh, We might even have some fun graphics on the screen like when we do uniform factor and we are currently working on getting some more exciting stuff on the youtube live stream for you so you can watch us whenever you want Uh, you can watch us live and you can watch us uh, pre-recorded on youtube so check that out if you have not already it's a lot of fun okay and then if you're also watching the youtube you might see on the sidebar we have all of our social medias including that Uh, We are at Twitter, C-Disc-A-U. If you would like to tweet at Compact Discourse, we would love to hear from you about Auburn football, college football, or playoff baseball, as those are all things we're going to get to later on in the show today. We've also got the WEGL station. You can follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at WEGL underscore A-U for all of the updates on the station. All right, what we're going to do real quick is the scores from the top 25 in college football over the weekend and then we'll probably have to go to a break and then when we come back we'll talk about everything including the new AP poll so without further ado what happened in college football this weekend okay so on Friday California nearly gets the upset but Oregon comes out on top Oregon beats the Cal Berkeley Bears 24-17 in Outson Stadium. San Diego State remains undefeated, but it takes a scare from San Jose State. They win that one 19-13 in double overtime. NC State continues their tear across the ACC. They blow out Boston College in Chestnut Hill 33-7. Texas A&M puts up a 21 spot in the first quarter against Missouri. They win 35-14 in an SEC clash. In the highest-ever scoring matchup between the Florida Gators and LSU Tigers, Florida comes out on top 49-42 in a wild shootout. Baylor downs BYU 38-24 in Waco. Utah knocks off uh, ranked Arizona State 35-21. Auburn hands Arkansas their third straight conference loss 38-23. Ole Miss travels up to the unfriendly confines of Rocky Top and escapes with a 31-26 win in that one. Oklahoma State can remains undefeated. They defeat Texas 32-24. Michigan State undefeated as well. They survive a scare against Indiana. 20-15 goes Sparty over the Hoosiers. Alabama takes out some frustration on Mississippi State. They win that one by 40, 49-9 in Starkville. Oklahoma with a new quarterback. They beat up on TCU, 52-31. Cincinnati making their playoff resume more impressive by beating UCF, 56-21. Down goes Iowa. Purdue plays the spoiler this time, 24-7. Go the Boilermakers over the Hawkeyes. And your SEC game of the week, Georgia Bulldogs run all over the Kentucky Wildcats. 32-13 was the final score in that one from Athens, Georgia. And that was your uh, ranked teams, how they fared in college football on Saturday. We had three Big Ten East teams on a bye week. That was Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State all on a bye week. So a little bit quiet in the top ten, but they will all be back in action this coming up next week. Moving on to the AP poll. Your new AP poll that came out yesterday, number tw- 25, welcome to the poll, Purdue after upsetting Iowa. Number 24, go Roadrunners, UTSA joins the party, they're undefeated 7-0. and Pittsburgh Panthers crash the party, it's ACC making an appearance once again. San Diego State, after surviving against San Jose State, nowhere to go but up, and they do, up two spots to 22. SMU, they jump in as well, everyone's moving up the ladder after Arkansas falls off the poll. Uh, it's 21, go the, the Pony Express of SMU. Baylor in there at 20 after being unranked. Joined by Auburn, also unranked, jumping up to 19. Welcome back to the poll. Auburn, NC State jumps up four spots to 18. They are 5 and one AM moving on up. They are 17th now. Wake Forest still undefeated. They're stuck at 16. Kentucky tumbles down to 15. Coastal takes their spot, 14 Notre Dame is now 13. Ole Miss jumps 1-12. to 12. Iowa tumbles from 2 down to 11th is where the Hawkeyes sit. Number 10 is Oregon, Michigan State. Oklahoma State are both undefeated, 9 and 8, respectively. Your three Big Ten teams, Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, all had bye weeks, so they stay at 7, 6, and 5. And your new college football playoff, Alabama, 6-1, and one. Oklahoma 7-0, and Cincinnati undefeated at 6-0, and and your Georgia Bulldogs 7-0 and at the top spot on the poll. So that's the AP poll. That's the college football scores. We will be back with some thoughts and analysis on what happened this week in college football on the other side of this break. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, weglfm.com, or watching or listening on YouTube, listening to our podcast. All of our episodes are available 100% PSA break free as a podcast. Just search for Compact Discourse on your podcast player of choice. All right, let's jump right into college football. Uh, Notable stories, notable headlines, plenty to get to including uh, the unfriendly confines of Rocky Top as Lane Kiffin made a trip back to his former uh, coaching job and plenty of other stories, including the Big Ten spoilers going at it. Usually it's Iowa doing the upsetting in Kinnick Stadium, but unfortunately for their playoff chances, it's them getting upset by Purdue, who has the most ever wins over an AP Top 2 Opponent when unranked. do the boilermakers when unranked. So yes, um, that's what happens when you when you play with fire. Yeah, you know, Purdue and Iowa are like fire and gasoline, you know, can't put them together. Bad things are gonna happen. Um, Oklahoma seems like they have a new uh, quarterback to the delight of Davis as Kayla Williams, those for five touchdowns in his starting debut. Alabama uh, looks like they are not seeing ghosts anymore as they take down. Mississippi State 49-9. to Sparty still undefeated as we have four potential playoff teams that could come out of the Big Ten uh, East, depending on what happens there. My favorite to sneak into the playoff and win the Big 12, Oklahoma State has an impressive comeback win and good defense, I might add, uh, in a win against Texas. And Arizona State, it seems like the Pac-12, uh, unless, unless Oregon can put something together in a hurry, uh, their playoff chances, along with the ACCs, are completely cooked.
2: I'm sorry. Uh,
0: and then you also have Florida and LSU. Coach O is out, but he does get a big win as uh, the number 20 Florida Gators um, have become unranked as they have lost to LSU.
2: I cannot believe that like that that could not have gone more poorly for LSU athletic department than announcing his firing after probably the biggest win of his season so far. I mean, not probably, definitely. Definitely. I mean, even though it is against a bad Florida team that I think is bad, um, I mean, I think that's certainly not what you want to do. I don't know why why you wanted to wait till the end of the season because a lot of people said, oh, well, in his full release, Scott Woodward, the athletic director and resident uh, moron, in my opinion, said that the idea was Coach O will assist in recruiting and assist in getting the most success possible, but how does making him a lame-duck coach help him be hmm. more, better in recruiting? I mean, imagine imagine going to a recruits house and saying, I know I won't be there next year, but you should come to LSU because of hmm, because of my staff who may not all be fired, because of the players who on might transfer, and because of Insert head coach who I do not know. It 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 it's stupid in my opinion. It, I mean you're you're handcuffing a guy saying, Yep, this is the best thing for our program. Just fire him at the end of the year. Who cares? I mean, did they negotiate I don't know if they negotiated a better buyout if that was if that if they negotiated a better buyout if that's what happened? I don't I mean, know that. He's still getting the 17 million. I don't so, know how you can
0: get a better buyout. I mean, I, I don't
2: I mean I mean I mean, as in Ellis doesn't have to pay 17 million is what I mean. Like mm-hmm. for for their sake. But this in my opinion is a is a bonehead move really because it it all it does is make them a, give him a lame duck coach a coach recruiting when everybody thinks he's going to be fired is bad enough a coach recruiting when he's already been fired is worse it does nothing to help the program in my opinion it only it only it only further uh gives them problems not to mention i i mean i don't like coach o i think he's i think he's a bad coach i think i think the running gag that anytime the cameras on him his headset is up is not just a gag, but reality in the fact that he doesn't know what's going on half the time. Just saying. I mean, it, for all of my crit- critiques of Gus, at least he looked like he was talking to somebody. Coach O didn't look like there's anybody even in the headset. I'm pretty sure it's just a piece of cardboard that they stick on his head at this point. I'm not sure it actually functions. And regardless of those criticisms, do I believe he's worthy of being fired? No, to be honest. I think I think he was the answer to the less Miles, pro- Les Miles problem. Because when they hired Coach O, and the reason it worked is because he was the opposite of Les Miles because Les Miles, as great of a recruiter as he was, as uh, great of a motivator as he was, he was probably the most stubborn coach in college football because he refused to adapt his 1912 offense. Ah, uh, yes, the halfback toss up the middle with my 38th fullback on the roster will definitely beat Alabama as they lost by 30, right? Like, Coach O was the opposite. He acknowledged the fact that he's not the best to coach the offense or the defense, and he let them all do whatever they wanted, which is fair. But I think that is certainly something that you want, honestly, in a coach more so. And not to mention, they've had a, a rough go of it with a lot of talent leaving, a lot of injuries, and a lot of transfers and people sitting out last year. Honestly, I don't think last year should count against him, in my opinion. I mean, last year was a crazy year for a lot of teams, a lot of people sitting out, a lot of people getting injured. I think it's a bit rushed to judgment here because who do you bring in? Joe Brady's not coming back. He he doesn't like college football. He doesn't like recruiting. That's been established. Not to mention Joe Brady was an offensive assistant. He did not call the plays. He assisted in Esmanger adapting his offense, yes, but he did not call the plays. So who do you bring in? Who do you guys think they're going to bring in? I have, I have no clue.
0: No, that that's why I don't I'm not a fan of, you know, coaching changes unless you have a plan. Exactly. I would hope the old, the, the, the Meta Mafia, as we like to call them, the LSU athletic department has a plan moving forward. Otherwise, you know, you've just cooked your program for another three years.
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the only uh, viable options, in my opinion, uh, people are saying Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle's not leaving Cincinnati. I don't believe. I do not, I believe Luke Fickle would be staying in the Midwest and Northeast area for the. I think he likes that area. I think he wants to get back to Ohio State if he can. But I don't think he will unless Ryan Day torpedoes the entire program, which I doubt will happen. But, I mean, other options. Okay, Urban so. Meyer. There you go. I don't. Yeah. I, the,
1: <clears throat> I, genuinely, I'm not even kidding. <coughs> I can see that happening. They give him a chance to get out of Jacksonville. Lord,
2: Lord knows that. thing is, though, Urban Meyer's not coming to the SEC because he doesn't want to get destroyed by Saban year in and year out, which Fair. is why he left the first place. Oh, gosh, uh, getting beat by 40 gave me the headaches. No, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Cristobal.
1: I, do you want Cristobal? I mean, I'm not an LSU fan. I don't have an opinion. One of the I'm just, I mean, I'm talking about like as the program perspective. I, I mean, don't, I like Cristobal as a coach. I
2: when Auburn was looking for a coach and he was in the rumors, I was interested in getting Cristobal. I don't know if you even want Cristobal to be honest. I like I don't know, like I don't think he is an option. Like I mean, I don't think he's better, especially because you bring you're bringing a Pac-12 guy to the Southeastern Conference. I mean, do you go in state and get Billy Napier from Louisiana Lafayette? Maybe. They're doing pretty good this year, but they did also just have a loss to a Texas team by 20 who is not a very good Texas team, for what it's worth, right? Uh, do you get Mel Tucker from Michigan State? Maybe. But I just don't think there really are a lot of great options out there already. A lot of guys I don't think are going to want to leave. I don't think getting Luke Fickles is as easy as one, two, three. Jimbo Fisher you could have gotten a year ago, but Texas A&M knew LSU was going to go after Jimbo, and signed him to a thirty-year extension, which he's not going to leave because if he leaves that, he has to pay it back. Davis, are are, are you are you treating your phone like a bouncy ball? I just dropped. Nobody, nobody knew that happened, Alex. Davis, it everything gets picked up. Surprise, uh, surprisingly. I'm just 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 giving you giving you a little heads up. Also, there are cameras, Davis. The yeah, the cameras that are pointing at my face. I mean, yeah, yeah. anyway, um, I don't know. Do do you guys have any? possible candidates,
0: Jack? I saw an article that said Jimbo Fisher was at the top of the list,
2: which I find. Which, again, as I, I just said, is impossible, bizarre. right? Bizarre. Bizarre because you think it's a bad idea, bizarre because, again, he has a 10-year contract. Yeah, bizarre because he just kind of is just now
0: finding his stride at, at, at AM. and the m first, The first former Saban coordinator to beat Saban, the first unranked team to ever beat Saban, why would you walk away from that job? Yeah. What, maybe if it's like a, a G5 school, but it's it's a place that has plenty of money, plenty of resources, and plenty of opportunity to compete. I mean, they were one win away from the playoff last year. Why, how do you walk away from that job and try to rebuild an LSU team that, that is, is swamped in all kinds of um, just internal politics of the athletic department?
2: And the thing is, it's not even viable for him to walk away because when you leave a contract, the coach has to pay it. And that is a large amount of money that he will have to pay the university because that's how it works. It's the opposite, essentially, As, uh, much like where universities will pay coaches to fire them, vice versa, ensues. And I don't know why he would do that either. It's a big financial undertaking to leave an already good program. And I mean, I'm look, I'm i googled it right now, and um, let's see. People think James Franklin. People think, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> oh Lord. One of the pictures is of Jeremy Pruitt. I no. I don't I don't like that one. Also, Lane Kiffin. I don't believe Lane's gonna go to LSU because I believe Lane likes the um wildcard uh, outlaw approach that you can do it in Ole Miss, and you can't really do it in LSU, I don't think. I think Lane likes and also I think LSU is a notoriously meddling athletic department that Lane doesn't want to deal with. Ole Miss is very hands off. As in, Hugh Freeze got to do whatever the heck he wanted, as we saw, and Ole Miss didn't seem to know anything about it. So, I think—I mean, I don't think that's a viable option. Like, I really doubt Lane goes there. I think Lane really enjoys his time at... I, I just don't... I don't see where the option is. Then again, Auburn pulled Brian Harson out of a hat last year, essentially, and it's worked out so far, right, and through only seven games. But even then... <clears throat> excuse me, that was a mess of a... Uh, of a coaching search honestly. Yes. I it didn't seem agree. like I mean maybe Auburn can do the do the Dan Schneider approach of it was always planned the whole time. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there, but I don't think it was necessarily. I don't know. This is just it seems like a mess and I feel like you wait till the end of the season and then fire a coach because then you spend those days looking at potential coordinators to hire, seeing coordinators that, you know, rise throughout the season, you know, who like I mean, who knows what would have happened? Maybe there was some way you could pull Luke Fickle at the end of the season, but now I just don't. I don't, don't see it happening right now.
0: Mm-hmm. I would agree. I think they're in a tif- difficult spot, and I don't. They I I, I hazard a guess that they had a plan, otherwise they wouldn't have pulled the trigger in such a weird way. Um, but. If that's not the case, then I don't really know what's going on down in the bayou there yeah, in LSU. It's a mess. All right, plenty to get to still on Compact Discourse. We're probably going to talk about this whole Lane Kiffin situation coming up on the other side of a break. We've also got some pro football to talk about, some Monday night football to get excited about, and of course some playoff baseball to recap as we have two ongoing series providing plenty of excitement in both the National League and the American League as your Atlanta Braves have walked off two straight games to head up 2-0, heading back out west to take on the Los Angeles Dodgers in a rematch of last year's NLCS. So don't go anywhere. Plenty to get to on the final 30 minutes here of Compact Discourse. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Hanging out with you for 30 more minutes here on WEGL 91.1. The Big 91 here, Auburn student-run radio station for 50 years. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex and Davis, both halves of... uh, What is it? Through the Woods? Yeah. Um, The I Give Up number one movie podcast here on i um, I'll let you talk about that in just a second. But first, your War Eagle weather report. 58 degrees here on the plains. 58 degrees and sunny. Go outside and enjoy the fall weather if you haven't already. Grab yourself a PSL and a sweater and uh, hit the town. Uh, 73 degrees is your high. 47 is your low. 61 degrees this morning. 70 this afternoon. Going to get down to 51 degrees tonight. So bundle up if you haven't already. I've got my nice... Um, for a quarter zip on to prepare for for such an eventuality. And, of course, that was Yira, your one and only Auburn Weather, Auburn weather Report. So we're going to jump right into the show. But first, uh, Alex and Davis, take it away.
2: If I may uh, say one thing before we get into that, I must issue a, uh, a correction. It turns out Jimbo Fisher, the contract details allow him he- the er, in the early years, he doesn't have to pay a buyout if he leaves. So, it appears he may have st- structured it intentionally to uh, depart soon. I wouldn't leave if I were him. I wouldn't either, but Jimbo is Jimbo, and he sensed the dumbest fire in LSU coming beforehand and left early as well from that. So, who knows? Maybe he maybe he realizes, oh, wait, I actually can't recruit good quarterbacks like he realized that at, at uh, FSU and then left again. So, we'll see what happens. I, honestly, Jimbo being Jimbo... Wouldn't surprise me, but I don't think he will either. So there's that. But anyway, Davis, talk about the show. All right. So today we are recording an
1: episode about something I'm sure if you were a kid, early 2000s, even mid 2000s, late 90s, you definitely saw them. The Scooby Doo straight to DVD movies, those being in order Zombie Island, uh, which is Ghost, uh, Alien Invaders. I would have gotten that, Alex. Dang it. Alien Invaders and Cyber Chase, which. Uh, I've seen them all many times. I know Alex has. I know Jack's seen all of them at least once, as a kid. That's correct.
0: Uh, Zombie Island was in the heavy rotation of VHS tapes that were present in my basement. So, before bed, pretty much, very, it was a a you know thirty percent chance that Zombie Island would be on okay. my my CRT in the basement. Um, we also had Cyber Chase DVD. So many a long car ride was. Was broken up by by intermittent cyber chases. So, t- two two of those two I'm very fond of. The other two I'm kind of out on. But uh, you know, that's just my opinion. Those are, those are my two favorites. Um, they just I'm not going to be on the show, so I'll just I'll spill my opinion right now. Good choice. Uh, they uh they look a lot different than I remember. They're very of their time. Cyber chase in a way that uh I after being after watching a lot of what's new Scooby Doo, yeah. in my head I just imagine them in that art style. But their art style is so distinct and cool that I really think it's
1: not giving them enough credit to just discredit the art style entirely. Cyber Chase is in kind of the similar art style as What's New Scooby Doo. It was the first one that was digitally digitally colored. The other three were all like hand painted basically. Mm. So they look a lot more like classical VHS style, but then you see, Cyber Chase is much more like New Agey DVD
2: when you watch it. Something to consider we might can talk about on the show. Definitely. Also, a lot of news to discuss. DC fandom was uh, this weekend. A lot of trailers and stuff to talk about. A lot of exciting movies from that uh, company, but a lot of also. Head Scratchers as well. So that we'll be talking about that to start the show before we get into the Scooby-Doo movies.
0: So that's being recorded today. What episode is uh, going live on Weagle today? Uh,
2: it's the Hereditarian Midsummer one with Chris Tobias as our guest. That one got a little little spooky. Now we had we had to lighten it up with uh, Scooby-Doo before we move on to John Carpenter's Halloween next week. Okay, so that one
0: will be on Weagle at noon if you want to hear Correct. that episode. Uh, we got Compact Discourse ends at 10, two hours of rock music, and then... Through the Lens comes on at twelve o'clock, high noon. If you want to hear about the A twenty four horror films with Alex and Davis and Chris Tobias, friend of the show. All right, we're going to jump right into a little bit of college football, including the uh, Lane Kiffin fiasco as Lane Kiffin returns to Neyland Stadium for the first time since departing as for the first time as a head coach since departing uh, Tennessee in two thousand nine. He's been there as Alabama's offensive coordinator and maybe in some other capacity, but he's the f- first time he's been behind the wheel of another team taking on Tennessee. Um, and Ole Miss gets out of there with a win, but not without some high drama as Tennessee turns the ball over on downs, and the fans at Neyland, specifically the student section, takes a bit of issue with that one.
2: Yeah, that that was insane. I wasn't watching the game, actually, and a friend of mine texted me and said, are you watching this? Oh, my gosh. And th- And I turned it on. This was reminiscent of Bottlegate with the Cleveland Browns back in 2002. Uh, That was a um, Butch Davis Coach Browns team where the Browns threw a pass. He caught it, got a first down, and then they went up and spiked the ball. And then the refs were like, okay, yeah, you spiked the ball. We're going to actually review the play before that, just after they ran a play, which was ridiculous. Insanity. And Browns fans, honestly, not justified, but more justified by comparison than Tennessee – threw stuff onto the field I only say more because it was the worst call in the history of officiating that I've seen with the Browns game this one however with Tennessee fans absolutely ridiculous and it honestly was disgusting because it wasn't that bad of a call for one and two the Tennessee athletic director tweeted you know how this doesn't represent our fans our university were disappointed by what happened and everybody every Tennessee fan was like well you know we're justified in it, and the ref shouldn't have screwed us over is what they said. And I'm like, eh. Okay, so what exactly was the call? Okay, so it was, was it? a 4th and 24. Tennessee mm-hmm. quarterback throws it. Guy gets about 23 and 3 quarters of a yard, and he's down, and he's ruled just short, and upon review, Tennessee fans think he has it because nobody in the state, people are talking in the state, and they're cheering basically. They think they've got it. And the ref goes out and says the call in the field stands. I, or actually, I think they said confirmed. And then they lost their minds and in my opinion it was completely ridiculous i mean it, 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 there's no there's no place for it in in sports in general let alone the fact that you know i mean it was endangering the players and endangering the safety of the people on the field the band left the cheerleaders were having to walk using the boards as shields above their head i mean it's ridiculous and it's i mean it's just uh, it was it was absurd it was honestly dare I say, cool to watch because it was one of those where were you when this happened moments. But outside of that, it was completely ridiculous and uncalled for from Tennessee. But what can you say? It's the volunteers. Who surprised? Very
1: few of us. Yeah. How, how big of a fine is going to come down on them? Has it been announced yet? Well, the SC
2: says $250,000 for stepping onto the field, so I imagine it should be higher. Though knowing Greg Sankey, I imagine it will be significantly higher.
0: Yep. Uh, Greg Sankey releases a statement saying, quote, The conference has established expectations for behavior and sportsmanship and the actions of fans on Saturday night's game were unacceptable under any circumstances. We are accustomed to intense competition every week, but under no circumstances is it acceptable to endanger the contest participants and disrupt a game. We will review existing conference policies and the commissioner's authority to impose penalties and communicate with the leadership at the University of Tennessee and all of the SEC's members universities to make certain this situation is not
2: repeated. Boom! Hey, Old Miss has done this before too, so
1: that's true. They, they do not show that basketball. In this whole thing. I mean,
2: and Auburn fans apparently have done it before too—the LSU game in 2018. I think Jacob mentioned lots of trash being slung onto the field that year. But interesting. I, I don't know. It's just, I, it's ridiculous. I mean, it really there. There's just there, there's no justification for it either. Is the craziest thing is the fact mm-hmm. that people are defending it. There's not. There doesn't seem to be a lot of oh, we messed up. From, from the fans at least not not again this is Twitter and they're not representative a hundred thousand people in a stadium not at all right mm-hmm. but if, if those fans were in fact at the game and did it there didn't seem to be much regret like I think it's o- almost okay if you at least show some remorse like if you meant okay look it was a crazy game we got too into the moment maybe night game got a little too tipsy I don't know but it wasn't there was none of that all I saw was people upset that the refs still messed up. When they didn't, it wasn't a bad call. It really wasn't. It was it was about I mean, like I don't think it was a bad call at all. And I just it was absurd and ridiculous. Not their money.
1: They don't have to pay for it. The fine that is that's true. That's true. The university I mean, but
0: did we did we expect Lane Kiffin's return to Newland to be normal?
1: Not at all. Yeah. It
0: was just a matter of what was going to happen. Of course Lane Kiffin, always the good sport about things. Uh, here was his quote quote, I still have my souvenir golf ball. I also got hit with bottles with some brown stuff in them, and I don't think those fans would waste moonshine. You got some of the most passionate fans at bases in America and a call that didn't go their way. So, always a good sport, Lane Kiffin. Well,
2: Lane Kiffin's kind of fun. Lane was having all fun. Of he also tweeted something. Get, I gotta, get your popcorn. I got to find it for a second. He, he did say the st-
1: thing like, who brings a golf ball to the stadium? No,
2: he he, he said something. Well, I'm going to look for it. Uh, the way he right.
0: uh, it landed next to him, and then he picked it up and showed it to the referee, He's very, like, yeah, very good visual gag by is. Lane.
2: Um, I mean, yeah, and he still even he even uh, tweeted about how much he like respected, like he said the crowd impacted the outcome. What an amazing environment! Like, I like he clearly was having fun with it, evidently. But I that's just there's also like at the end he caught a water bottle with one hand and threw his hat back into the stands for the fan that threw it at him. So just. Kiffin having a good time. And again, a lot of tweets about like the environment. And he's about handling it as well as you could, considering he had stuff thrown at him, I will say. I
1: wonder if Joey Freshwater made an appearance after that. Consider yeah. that one. Lot to that consider. is a lot to consider there.
2: All right, one more
0: segment here of compact discourse before we get got to get out of here. And I think... There's only one thing left to talk about, and that is, of course, playoff baseball. Your Atlanta Braves are up 2-0 heading back west to take on the Dodgers in Chavez Ravine. We'll talk about how they got there over the weekend and how the Boston Red Sox bounced back in Game 2. Game 3 of that one's tonight. Don't go anywhere. Compact Discourse. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll. We're jumping right into things here. You may have noticed by now, but it is October, which means, of course, playoff baseball is in full swing. We're going to be talking about the ALCS here to start off as Houston takes Game 1 down in the juice box, Minute Maid Park, and Boston, not deterred by that, comes right back and takes Game 2 by dent of two grand slams in the first and second inning to take a 9-5 victory over the Astros. So that's where we're going to jump off first is with the Astros-Red Sox series. That one is going to continue tonight at 7 p.m. in Fenway Park as the Astros and the Red Sox both have a win in this one. Uh, that will continue on Tuesday. Tuesday, excuse me. And then uh and then back in Fenway on Wednesday as well. So three games in Fenway. So uh whoever wins if someone wins all three of those games, we uh, could have a ticket punched to the World Series already. But um you know, just for entertainment's sake, I would like to see this one go a little bit longer. Um, so where to begin with this one? We will um, I guess just jump right in to game uh, game 1. If I can find it, where's Game 1 hiding? Uh, anyway, I will tell you that the, the Astros did win Game 1. Uh, Stanek gets the win in that one. He's 1-0 in the playoffs now. Uh, Robles gets the loss in this one, and Presley gets the save. As in a very tight game, the Astros edge out the Red Sox 5-4. 11 hits to 10. Go the Astros and get an opening series uh, opening win in the series. And then the next day on Saturday night, or Saturday afternoon, it was the Red Sox by dint of two grand slams, kicking an 8 to nothing lead and never looking back as they win 9-5 to in Fenway. Eovaldi gets the win in that one. Garcia takes the L after getting chased early. Um, so that was, of course, J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers teaming up to put eight runs on the board. Or Boston,
1: first team to ever hit two grand slams in a postseason game. Wow! And that was back to back in
0: <coughs>
1: Yeah, and was in, it the same inning?
0: It was in innings one and two.
1: Okay, back, that's why that's why inning two was so long. I remember you you turned it on and you're like, it's still the second inning. Yeah, I think going like for-
0: the entire second quarter of the Georgia game, uh, the second inning was longer than that. Crazy! It was a crazy game. So eight to nothing go. Uh, Red Sox have set a franchise record and tied an MLB record for consecutive games with 10-plus hits in a single postseason um, with the 0-2 Angels and 0-4 Astros. So, that's good. Um, Astros starters have struggled mightily other than Lance McCullers Jr. Um, and every, Astros starters not named Lance McCullers now have a 12-6-6 ERA following Lu- Luis Garcia's four spot here in the first. So, that only got worse. Um, so, It's going to come down to the bullpen if the Astros want to get back in this one. Um, Their rotation is now very uncertain because of this having to deal with being chased so early in the game. Uh, Kike Hernandez continues to stay hot in this one. He smashed a home run after this game was decided. Um, And then he set a record for a five-game span. Most extra base hits, most hits, and most total bases at 34 So, Kike Hernandez continues to stay hot for the Sox. He's also the first Red Sox player to hit five home runs in a
1: five-game span in the postseason. Thoughts? Do we have a new Mr. October coming up? Right now, it's Randy Rosarena. I guess maybe uh, Kike Hernandez is going to be taking over the the mantra since Randy got knocked out. So, it's
0: a best-of-five now uh, that kicks off tonight in Fenway Park. Uh, 7 p.m. is your first pitch as let's see who our starting pitchers are. It will be Jose Yacchidi versus Eduardo Rodriguez for uh, the Red Sox, Boston favored. money line, negative 111 for the favor of the Sox. Over-under is 9. I'd take the over on that one if it were me. Um, 54 degrees first pitch and sunny skies in Boston, Massachusetts, as we will be under the lights in Fenway for Game 3 or effectively game one of a best of five as uh, the ALCS wages on, and we look for one of these teams to punch their ticket to the World Series. All right, let's jump on over to the National League where the Braves are doing what the Braves do best, and that's jumping out to an early series lead against the Los Angeles Dodgers in the NLCS. Surely this can't go wrong two years in a row. Uh, Will Smith gets the win on Saturday night the Braves hold off the Dodgers and barely get a win. 3-2 to two go the Braves over the Dodgers by dint of a Jock Peterson home run. That puts two on the board. And with only six hits, they manage three runs. Austin Riley is the hero in this one. He gets the big walk-off in this game uh, to make it 3-2 to two. Braves and sends the Dodgers home. Uh, Oh, it one, even though they got 10 hits in this game. So Trinan gets the loss in that one. And I believe it was a bit of a uh, bullpen game for the Dodgers as they were trying out some interesting pitching rotations uh, to throw the Braves off their rhythm early yeah. in this game.
1: They started Cole. I still don't know how to pronounce the name. Nabler? Canabler? Na- Nable? Canable? That sounds right. We'll go with that. But, yeah, they started him, which was a big surprise for a lot of people because Julio Urias was written down as a starter. But within an inning, Urias was in, and then they kept changing it out throughout the game. Every inning or two to get a new pitcher in there against uh, the Braves batters, obviously – I mean, it worked if they only scored three runs, but Austin Riley was able to get that walk-off double or single, whatever it was. So, I mean, it's interesting – they're down 2-0, so I guess you could say it hasn't worked so far. Max Scherzer did pitch a Jim. Not Jim. He pitched okay against the Braves yesterday. Yeah, I'm interested to see what the Dodgers are they're really their plan is for pitching for the rest of this series because they've been they've been getting all their arms warm, but at the same time they're making them tired if they're having them pitch every game. Yeah, um, I'm a bit wo- worried, or not worried, but wondering
0: what the, the strategy for the Dodgers is. Going to be coming back home to Los Angeles down 0-2. Speaking of down 0-2, last night's game had plenty of excitement. Ian Anderson was on the bump for uh, Atlanta. Immediately gets in some hot water as he gives up a two-run shot in the top of the first without even recording an out yet and continues to get get guys on base throughout his entire appearance, uh, only giving up two, though, so a bend-don't-break performance for Ian Anderson. The Braves, uh, that was Corey Seager, who absolutely shelled the Braves last year in the NLCS. He is proving to be a problem even more so this year as he hits a 400-foot homer and scores Mookie Betts to make it 2-0. Jock Peterson, uh, the moniker Tober, lives on in the bottom of the fourth as he homers a 450-foot home run to the top of the chop house in right field and scores Austin Riley to tie it up. In the seventh inning, Taylor doubles to center. Mookie Betts and Smith score. Justin Turner moves over to third to make that a four-to-two game. In the top of the seventh, all hope appears to be lost for the Atlanta Braves until Ozzy Albie's comes up to the dish. He singles to right and scores Rosario. Then Riley doubles to deep center to score Ozzy Albie's with those wheels all the way over to uh, uh, f- goes first to home uh, to make it four to four. Uh, And then, you know what, we all know what happens now. Bottom of the ninth inning, Will Smith is pitching for the Braves. And Eddie Rosario singles and scores Swanson, who was based at second base after the ball goes in and out of Corey Seager's glove sitting there at second. And that is going to be a second walk-off win for the Atlanta Braves in the NLCS. On paper, the Dodgers had this one pretty much won. Uh, they issued just two walks to Atlanta's nine. They sh- they threw more strikeouts. They stole four bases to Atlanta's none. Uh, but it was Atlanta who clutched up when the time came. Uh, they were only favor or they only had a. They were only favored to win for about one inning of this game, and you know what? That's all they needed because it was the most important inning, bottom of the ninth. Eddie Rosario, hero of the night. He goes four for five. Um, yeah. After a pop-out, he reached on an infield single, single to center, single to left, and single to shallow center. So not his swinging for the fences, but getting the job done, including getting a walk-off hit, goes Eddie Rosario, your leadoff hitter for the Atlanta Braves.
1: And Ron Washington, third-base coach, kind of – he was trending earlier today for the the risky third-base sins he was given, but they, they worked out. Got He was given the green light to Eddie Rosario on that uh, – Ozzie Albee's single, I think. Mm-hmm. and Got then, him, got and him then home. It was pretty close. And Ozzy got uh, got home.
0: Maybe a contested play if the catcher doesn't drop the ball. But uh, the tying run to make it 4-4 uh, was a send by Ron Washington for the wheels of Ozzie Albie's. So, Braves are sitting pretty. Uh, it'll be a fun plane ride out to Los Angeles for the Braves as they will take on the Dodgers in the Chavez Ravine on Wednesday... I believe. Is it Wednesday?
1: Uh, That should be right. Uh, I'll check real quick. And I they, just closed my ESPN app right when he asked that.
0: I closed my, my schedule app as well. Um, so it'll be at three games over in Dodger Stadium. So the Braves have a chance to clinch while they are out west, but um, games six and seven
1: will be back home, I believe is how we do it in baseball. They keep changing it. Uh, the next three games are at Dodger Stadium. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then on Saturday will Saturday, be back Saturday, Sunday will be Game six. back in truest.
0: Yeah. Game six for Dodgers Braves will be on Saturday at four PM. Game seven, if necessary, will be at seven PM for Red Sox Astros. So the Braves have a chance to hoist the pennant while they are out west, but um, a lot of work to be done still, and I think this Braves team knows that better than anybody else. It is not over until it's over. The Braves obviously giving up a three to one series lead last year in the NLCS to these very same Los Angeles Dodgers, a team that has only gotten better in my opinion. So do not let your guard down if you're the Atlanta Braves. And I think. They know that as they are focused and having fun, if you will, hmm. as is this uh, this Braves team. So that is going to just about do it for today's episode of Compact Discourse. Thank you for hanging out and talking sports with us this morning. Uh, we probably got some more episodes coming up this week. In fact, I know we do. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all at 8 a.m. You aren't going to want to miss it. We've got some fun guests, including the uh, beloved Chris Tobias, DJP, Grayson Moyer. All your favorite cast of characters will be joining us in the booth later on this week. So thank you for spending your Monday morning with us. Thank you for celebrating Compact Discourse's fourth anniversary uh, with us here today, as we are happy to have you as a fan of WEGL for low these many years. And that is going to do it for today. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. However you joined us today, we have that beat from your radio antenna. Weglfm.com, or by listening to our podcast we would like to remind you that all of our previous episodes are available as a podcast completely free wherever podcasts are heard just search for compact discourse be sure to follow us on twitter at cdiscau that's at cdicau for links to said podcast information about the show and important updates you can also tweet at us to get your voice on the show and join the conversation on auburn's only student run morning show you might want to go ahead and follow wegl on twitter instagram and tiktok at wegl underscore au that is, of course, W-E-G-L underscore A-U. Our dedicated team of marketing professionals is working tirelessly to provide you high-quality content for you fans of the station. And with that, for Jack Hart, Alex Houston, and Davis Carroll, this has been another exciting episode of Compact Discourse. We wish you a great rest of your Monday. Stay warm. We will talk at to you tomorrow for the Tuesday edition of Compact Discourse. 8 a.m. right here. This is Jack Hart signing off. As always, War Eagle and Go 1-0, and 0, just like the Auburn Tigers did this weekend. Have a great day.
2: Is this haunted room actually stretching?